0: Hello and welcome to Tuesday, February 20th. It is a great day because it is the 70th anniversary of Kiwi Yvette Williams' long jump world record. Get this, at an athletics mate in Gizzy. I love that. Smashing world records in Gisborne. How good. Fun fact for you also, I seem to be giving this out for free a lot lately. But Yvette Williams was also New Zealand's first female Olympic gold medalist there you go. Kia ora, this is Newsable I'm Imogen and this is what's worth talking about. An ACC loophole that has previously prevented some victims of childhood trauma from receiving financial compensation has been closed. We have all the details you need to know An expert tells us how they think a female stingray at a US aquarium got pregnant with no males in its enclosure. Plus the absolutely wild things some kids are getting from the tooth fairy these days that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. A legal decision that has flown under the radar since Christmas is going to have significant and positive impacts for some victims of child sexual abuse. Previously, many were unable to access weekly compensation from ACC because of a loophole that's been described by advocates as dreadful and re-victimising. Under ACC, a person is entitled to something called a loss of potential earnings payment if they're unable to work due to ongoing mental trauma. This is a scheme specifically designed for mental or physical injuries sustained before the age of 18. But in the ACC legislation, the date you first complain or seek treatment for a mental injury is the date ACC says it happened. So, basically, if you reported your abuse at age 30, that's when ACC says it happened, ruling you then ineligible because you're now over the age of 18. However, that is all set to change. So here to tell us more about that decision and what it means for the future is B Woodhouse from Barristers.com, who specialises in ACC cases. B, thank you for being here. My pleasure. B, what was this Wellington High Court judge's ruling in the most
1: layman of all layman terms? Loss of potential earnings is a form of entitlement under the ACC scheme. And it is available for a claimant that has lost their potential to earn on account of injuries they sustained under the age of 18. So with sensitive claimants or children that have had a sexual abuse past, their date of injury was previously determined to be the date that they first sought treatment. This would render them ineligible for the type of entitlement. The High Court, they interpreted the act in a different manner. So Justice Cook and the High Court determined that the date of injury for these types of claims uh, shouldn't be the artificial date which they first sought treatment or or the deemed date, but rather the actual date of abuse. And so under this interpretation, a lot more claimants will be eligible for the loss of potential earnings. Uh, This decision from the High Court was um, appealed by the ACC and the Court of Appeal decision was heard last year and we recently received the decision um, in late December and that upheld the High Court ruling.
0: So what can you tell us about where this all started and this case that led to all of this?
1: The case started, uh, the the claimant I've been working with her for probably five years. Wow. And we we appealed the ACC decision to the Review Tribunal, which upheld ACC's decision. This was then appealed to the District Court, which dismissed our appeal. And then it was appealed to the High Court, which um, overturned the District Court decision. So it's gone through various stages. And Landed in the Court of Appeal, which is the, the final right of appeal for ACC cases. So the law will remain as the Court of Appeal has decided.
0: What will it mean for others who find themselves needing to apply for loss of potential earnings payments? Because we know it can be many, many years
1: before victims, child victims, come forward. That's correct. And I think in this case that issue was particularly pronounced because the, the abusers were... Mm. sort of actively preventing her from seeking treatment. But you're right, it, it often does take a, a long time for victims of childhood sexual abuse to come forward, and that was really running against eligibility to this form of entitlement. So under the new law, claimants will now be eligible based on the actual date of injury, so eligibility will be easier.
0: And that just must be so significant.
1: Yes, and it's a it's a really good decision from the Court of Appeal. And in my view, it really upholds the purposes of the Act.
0: Why did ACC appeal the decision from the High Court in the first place? What was its reasoning?
1: So for ACC cases, you can only appeal on a question of law. So it's always centred around the correct interpretation of a provision in the Act. So the ACC, their appeal was based on what the correct interpretation was of potential earner and and date of injury provisions.
0: Are you expecting there'll be a rush of applications from people who previously would have been shut out by that loophole now that it's been closed and removed?
1: I think, yes, there there will be a good effect in allowing more claimants to get through the door in terms of this entitlement. Uh, There are further assistance that claimants need to undergo in order to actually access the the loss of potential earnings compensation, but yeah, the eligibility has expanded under this decision from the Court of Appeal.
0: B Woodhouse from Barristers.com, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Now, we asked ACC for its response to the Court of Appeal's decision and in a statement, the government agency told us it welcomes the clarity given by the court and that it is working hard to gain a thorough understanding of this decision and its impacts so that it can correctly implement it. ACC says getting that done is a priority and that it will be putting new systems and processes in place to support eligible survivors. We are just about to unravel the mystery of the self-cloning stingray. But if you can't resist intriguing tales like this one, make sure you chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss one. Here's something worth talking about and that everyone seems to be talking about. A stingray at an American aquarium in North Carolina, is pregnant, despite there being no male stingrays in the enclosure with it. Charlotte, that's the stingray's name, does share her enclosure with some sharks, though. So what is going on? Well, fishery scientist Britt Fanoushi from NIWA is here to hopefully give us some answers. Brett, welcome to Newsable. Thanks for having me. Britt, what are the scenarios here? Did a shark and a stingray get it on, or is this Mary <laughs> Mother of Jesus 2.0?
2: Uh, Well, I can say with some absolute certainty that no, a shark did not get the stingray pregnant. Uh, That is just biologically not possible. Uh, I've seen plenty of stories about it online, but Mm. no, that's definitely not the case. Okay. What's actually probably happened, there's two possible scenarios. The first, uh, which we know happens in a lot of shark and ray and ghost shark species, is sperm storage. So female will mate with a male and they may not actually reproduce right away, but they hold on to the male sperm and then they will reproduce at a later date. um, When it suits them. Exactly. Yeah. When, you know, when the environmental conditions are better um, for some species too, they lay eggs. So females are constantly pumping out eggs. um, So they need kind of that constant supply of sperm to do so. So that is... One scenario, but from what I understand with Charlotte is that she hasn't actually had any contact with a male for about eight years or something like that. So very long time. So what's probably happened here is called parthenogenesis. Mm-hmm. It's basically yeah a virgin birth. We know it happens in in sharks and rays, and it seems to be coming. I mean, the more we study them, it seems to be actually something that. A lot of different species can do, even though it's not like their their normal mode of reproduction, they seem to be able to switch, which is quite cool in itself. And so what other aquatic life have we seen this in? So not just aquatic life, you see it on other species as well, like uh, snakes mm-hmm. and some birds. Crocodiles as well are known for it. Um, there's a whole wide range of species. A friend of mine saw it, made a quote, there was about 80 different species or so known to to use this kind of mode of reproduction, but there's probably a lot more species out there that we just don't know about yet.
0: Part of your PhD was related
2: to this phenomenon. So what was your reaction when you read about Charlotte? Yeah. So my my PhD, I focus more on the sperm storage part of it, um, which was quite interesting. I work mainly on deep water species, so we don't know anything about them. So it's always new and exciting things to find about them. But um, we are finding, I was working on ghost sharks at the time, and the sperm storage side of things seems to be really common in all of these species yeah when we saw when we never heard about you know the Charlotte stories it's not surprising it's great that people get into it and they want to know more about it my reaction was yeah okay that's cool we've we've found another species you like yeah duh <laughs> <laughs> okay why are you getting so caught up about this world <laughs> but no it's good it's good that there are these stories out there I mean science in its own it's very weird and there's a lot of weird things that go on in the in the environment so it is Fantastic to to get people interested in this kind of stuff. Well, I'm willing to bet money that Charlotte, and I think according to the aquarium, she's got
0: four babies that she's brewing. Charlotte and those quadruplets are gonna be world famous. And she doesn't even know it, which is beautiful. Yep. Fishery scientist Britt Fanushi from Niwa, thank you so much for taking the time to explain all of that, even if it's freaky. <laughs> Hey, thank you, everyone who voted in our Instagram poll. 93% of you say you don't sleep with the light on after a survey in the UK found one in four Brits do. I do have another question to ask of you today. I will reveal that later. So to make sure you get your vote in, follow NZ Stuff on Instagram because today's poll, well, it's a doozy.
1: If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead... The Long Read From Stuff
0: is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. you also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read... Subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. I have a bone to pick. Or a bone to lose. A teeth bones, I can't remember. Apparently, kids are getting more than 150 bucks these days from the Tooth Fairy, according to a piece in the Wall Street Journal. It's not all US children getting the big bucks, according to a poll done by American dental insurance company Delta Dental. The US national average is around $10, which is still heaps. But apparently, other kids are getting things like video games. One dentist says they heard of a kid getting an iPhone from the tooth fairy. And then a British parent has told the Wall Street Journal, the tooth fairy gave their child $120 a silver necklace, and a Louis Vuitton bracelet. Because it was her kid's first baby tooth lost. So, therefore the need for 120 bucks, a necklace, and a Louis Vuitton bracelet. How old is the child? Because according to Google, kids start losing their teeth at six. So this kid could be six, toothless, or just one tooth down, wearing a Louis Vuitton bracelet. A gold coin was the greatest gift ever from the Tooth Fairy when I was a kid. I also had this little fairy statue thingy to put my tooth in. It was like a little, little I don't know, what are they called? Trinkety box for my teeth. Uh, I do believe... One time, at least, I did get a note. It might have been 5 or $10, but I can't quite remember. But I do believe that's because the Tooth Fairy did not have any gold coins on them at the time. It was, there was never an expectation that I got 5 or $10 there. Fourth. Anyway, uh, let me know how much you think the Tooth Fairy should be giving in 2024. $120 a tooth. That's an expensive set of gnashes. We'll have a poll on the staff Instagram. The options are less than $5. Is the amount the Tooth Fairy should be giving more than $5? Is the amount the Tooth Fairy should be giving or nothing? nothing at all get your votes in on the Stuff Instagram page that's NZ Stuff we'll have a poll up in our stories you can also email me if you want if you've got reckons and thoughts on the tooth fairy these days newsable at stuff.co.nz is the email that is newsable for today I'm Imogen Wells and I can't stop picturing a six year old toothless child (laughs) wearing a Louis Vuitton bracelet I don't know why I did that to myself If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.